Welcome to Take Your Stand, the podcast of Here I Stand Ministries. I'm your host, Luke Seibert. Let's explore more of what it means to live out the gospel by clinging to the Word and to one another. Problems arise when we start to try to use something in a way that it's not intended. Uh, tools can get damaged, uh, blades can get dulled, uh, things can even break uh, when we're trying to, to use things in a wrong way. That understanding the, pr- the intended purpose of something is essential for us to know how to, to use it or how to engage with it. And that's true for the local church. The last week we talked about what defines a local church. And that's that it's a group of people who belong to Jesus and have committed to helping each other grow spiritually as they commit to designated leaders observe the two ordinances, and regularly gather together. And while it tells us what the church is, it doesn't entirely tell us what the church does or why the church does what it does. Uh, it hints towards it, but it doesn't make that entirely clear. So what are the purposes of the local church? For us to know what the church should be doing, we have to know what the goal is, what the purpose is. As I've studied scripture, there are three primary uh, purposes for the local church why God has given us a local church, and what the church should be striving for. And those are worship, discipleship, and displaying God's wisdom. We'll work through each of those uh, here in this this episode. Starting off with worship. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Paul gives this doxology to the Lord, uh, to to God praising Him. It's the transition in in the book between more of the theological reflection and teaching and then more moving more into the application aspect of that but it says there in ephesians 3 20 and 21 now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us to him be the glory in the church and in christ jesus to all generations forever and ever amen paul is talking here more about the, the universal church but the, and so all these purposes that we're going to talk about do apply to that, but they are manifest and demonstrated within the context of a local church, that these are the way that they uh, that we, we see it. And Paul is saying that one of the purposes of the church there is to bring glory to God. And this, we see this brought out in the idea that the local church uh, meets with the Lord in a special way uh, that individual believers can't on their own. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16-17. through 17. Paul says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Uh, in the Greek, the word you is plural. That Paul is saying that the, the, together, the, the local church is a temple of God. And now, a few chapters later, Paul will say that we individually are temples of the Holy Spirit, and that has implications for how we live. But there's a special way that we are the temple of God in the context of a local church. That doesn't mean we have to meet in a specific building. Uh, It's not talking about that. But a united group of believers together are a temple of God. And so while we can each worship God uh, separately in our individual lives, and we certainly should, uh, there is a certain way that we worship God together that we can't do apart. Uh, D.A. Carson in his book, Worship by the Book, points out that while worship is, ascri- is um, ascribing worth to the Lord, it, there is a narrower sense that, that there is a 
aspect of worship when the church gathers. That can be through, through music and other aspects we'll get to here in a few moments. But the church worships God when it assembles together. And this makes sense when we consider the corporate aspect of salvation in the sense that we each believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we do that, we enter into a relationship with Him, but also with one another. That we are uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that we are uh, now committed to and that we are part of that family. And that when we gather together as a church, we are reminding ourselves that we are saved by God's grace and attributing glory to Him. That it's not the glory. The glory doesn't go to our common background. The glory doesn't go to our common practice. It goes to God's grace that He could save a diverse group of people and bring us together. That we gather together and we sing with one another and to one another as praise to, as part of our praise to the Lord. Ephesians five nineteen and uh, Colossians three sixteen. First uh, Corinthians fourteen is perhaps one of the uh, clearest pictures we have in the, in the New Testament of what a local church does when it gathers together. And Paul talks about the proper use of tongues there, saying there needs to be an interpreter. Because uh, I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit. But he says, I could be giving thanks well enough. You know, I, I could be praising God, giving him thanks. But he says, if you don't know what I'm saying, how can you give the amen? Well, they, they can't. But Paul's implication is there that the church should. The church should be agreeing with thanks that is given, worshiping God along with whoever is praying or speaking. And he talks about the church coming together and uh, being edified. Uh, there is a corporate aspect of our church coming together as we worship the Lord. Uh, it's also, also choosing to gather together is a form of worship itself because we're attributing worth to the Lord that we belong to Him. We're publicly acknowledging that we are not our own and that we belong to Him. Jonathan Lehman points this out in his book with Colin Hansen, uh, Church Revisited. He points out that we are acknowledging to ourselves and proclaiming to the world that we have citizenship in heaven, that we are not our own, that we are making that public, uh, making that public uh, profession by the choice to gather together. That's a form of worship, ascribing worth to the Lord, that He is worthy of our allegiance. Another aspect of corporate worship is submitting to the word preached. Uh, we're ascribing worth to the Lord because we're acknowledging Hey, we don't know how to live. We can't do this on our own. We need to hear from God and hear how He would, would teach us. And presenting our offerings is also a, a form of worship because we're acknowledging to the Lord these things that we have aren't really our own. We're only stewards and we're giving back part of what He has given to us. Uh, the Lord's Supper, celebrating that. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul makes it very clear that the Lord's Supper is something the church does when you come together. He, he uses that phrase multiple times there in that passage. That it is a corporate aspect and a form of worship as we remember what Christ has done for us and that we've been saved by His blood and that He's coming back again. All of these are, are forms of worship that the church does when it gathers together. Certainly many of these we could do separately. Um, we could listen to a sermon. We could sing songs by ourselves. We could even... Um, give to the church online a lot of times. There's different ways that we can do these things separately, but it's not the same as actually being together. And in fact, some we can't really fully do more apart. Uh, we can't sing to one another if we're separate. Uh, Paul makes it very clear that the Lord's Supper is 
something that the church does when it gathers together. It can't be, it's not to be done separately. That there is a definitely a corporate aspect, and we'll get we'll get into more reasons behind that here in a future episode when we get into the the ordinances. But that's together. We uh, we can't uh, fully acknowledge that our uh, our identity as the people of God if we choose not to gather together. Yes, we should study the word separately on our own, but there is a certain way that we acknowledge as a people that we belong to the Lord and need to hear from Him when we gather together to hear God's word proclaimed. By those uh, who have um, who have aspired to that to that role and who God, God's been lead, God's raised up as pastors and leaders of the church. So all of those are aspects of worship as the church gathers together. Yes, we worship God by how we live. We worship God by giving Him praise individually. But there is a way that the church worships God when it gathers together. That the, one of the purposes of the church is to worship the Lord in all the ways that He is worthy of it. So that's the first purpose, or the first goal of the church is worship. The second one is discipleship. And this, perhaps, um, I think more than any, any of the other points, uh, helps us see what the church is to be doing, how we, uh, what we should be engaged in, what our purpose is. And it feeds into other ones, which we'll see. But this is central to the idea of what the church is and what the church does. Uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 uh, it is an incredible passage and it very clearly that very clearly gives us a picture of the purpose of the local church. And speaking of Christ, Paul says this. He says, "And he gave some as apostles, and some as evangelists, and, uh, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith." And of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love there is so much packed into these verses we could spend a significant amount of time breaking apart each phrase and seeing how that instructs the church what the church is to be about what our goal is but central to all these verses is this idea of maturity, is the idea of growth. That it is central to the idea of what the church is, is to help each other grow until we reach maturity in Christ. Uh, that takes all of life. We're never going to reach a point here where we say, okay, we're mature, so our work is over. But it's a continuing growing in him until uh, Christ takes us home or he comes back for us. It, it's a growth, but always with that goal of maturity, of growth in him. This is even central to the commission that we're given by Jesus himself in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That when someone believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, our work isn't over. The, the, 
that they have just begun, that our goal and our charge is to make disciples. Uh, not just those who profess faith in Christ, but who are growing in Him, who are being conformed into His image. That uh, discipleship is a process. Uh, it doesn't just happen overnight. And it's something that we need each other. That uh, we can't just read books or listen to sermons. That's not true discipleship. Because it's, discipleship is not just head knowledge. But it, it's seeking to take what God has spoken, what He has spoken in His Word, what we know about Him, and shaping our lives in accord with that. And that takes time, and that takes one another. Hebrews 3.13 says this, But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, today, so so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What the author of Hebrews is saying there is that there is, we do, let me start, try that again. What he's saying is that sin is deceitful and we can be deceived. And so we need it, we need to guard against that. And one of the ways that we do that is by encouraging one another, is by helping each other. That I have blind spots that I need someone to help me with. Other people have blind spots I need to help them with. That it takes one another uh, being involved in each other's lives for us to grow up into Christ. Paul Tripp uh, really expounds this in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, People in Need of Change, Helping People in Need of Change, that it takes all of us growing together in Christ, that none of us has it all figured out. None of us has fully reached maturity in Christ, and we never will, this side of, of Christ's return or His taking us home. And so throughout our lives, we need each other. And that idea is actually the reason behind the only command we have in the New Testament for us to gather together. Now, as we said in a previous episode, the idea of gathering as the people of God is central. Is assumed throughout the entire New Testament. That we see examples and patterns and the assumption that we are going to gather. But there's, but there's only one specific command. Also in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 where it says, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Central to that command is the idea of considering one another, how can I help them grow in Christ? How can I help them to grow in love, love for God, love for one another, uh, to, to walk in good deeds? Not so that we earn salvation or keep our salvation, but in gratitude for what Christ has done. It's that we're going to gather together so we can help each other grow in Christ. The idea is central to our understanding of membership being more than just a place of where I go to hear a sermon or where I give offerings. Membership is not just having your name at some church. It's a commitment to a particular group of people that they'll help you grow in Christ and you're choosing to commit to help them grow in Christ. A lot of churches have historically done this through um, membership covenants, uh, church covenants that they have where this is the commitment we are making to one another. And Because uh, discipleship, as we said, is a, is a lifetime process and it's not just head knowledge. It's taking what God had, what God has said and seeking to bring all of our lives in conformity with that. And that takes time, and it's not just done in a formal setting. Uh, Sunday school can be a benefit, but just sitting in a classroom and hearing a teacher uh, preach, it, uh, a teacher uh, give a lesson, uh, is not the epitome of discipleship. 
And a lot of times discipleship happens not in a, in a formal setting in the sense of a, of a lesson or hearing a sermon or reading a book, but in simply living daily life with each other. It's in simply uh, committing to each other in the long term and uh, being involved in each other's lives and helping each other see how God's Word applies to how we live. I was reflecting upon this the past a few days, thinking about what has shaped me the most theologically and even my understanding about the church and other aspects. And there certainly absolutely have been certain books that I have read that I can point to as watershed moments in, in my Christian life that have uh, changed me, that I keep coming back to over and over again. But uh, there are also a lot of people that I know personally have been an, uh, have been a part of churches with that, uh, that have impacted me. And a lot of what they've taught me was not in sitting down and saying, let me teach you this. It was more caught than taught, if you want to use that phrase. But the idea of just watching people, um, groups, of churches I was a part of, organizations I was a part of, was the idea of simply just being involved with other people over an extended period of time taught me and, and changed me. And it, I, I, believe for, I believe for good and helped me to more understand God's word and how I am to live in that. And that's what discipleship is is that commitment to helping each other over the long term. Not necessarily in formal settings, that we don't all have to be able to uh, give an exposition of, of Philippians or something like that, per se, in like a, a Sunday school setting or a sermon or a devotional in that way. It can be something as simple as, you know, just a few comments as we're doing things together, or things that may come up, the Lord may impress upon us, or we may see an opportunity to be able to share about something God has taught us in terms of, you know, I was in that situation too, and here's how the Lord has directed me. Having people over for meals, spending time intentionally with each other. Uh, so many different ways that discipleship can manifest, but it's involvement in each other's lives over the long term, intentionally to help each other grow in Christ. That idea of discipleship affects so many aspects of the church. It, fact, it affects how we structure our services. One of the dangers of the seeker-sensitive movement is that it misses its primary purpose of the local church. That it does have a worthy goal. It does have a desire to be able to help bring people to Christ to proclaim the gospel. And that's a, that's a, a worthy goal. But that's not primarily what the local church is for when it assembles. Primarily when one local church gathers together is to equip the saints. Unbelievers are certainly welcome to come. And they can, they can hear the gospel and to see the church. But the gathering of the local church is not primarily for the unbeliever. And so when the uh, church commits to making that the primary goal of just uh, catering or, or focusing upon the, the unbeliever in their midst, they're neglecting this goal of the church, this, this primary purpose of the church, and the, the members are not growing. They're not being uh, taught, they're not being discipled or equipped in the way that they should be. Having this commitment to discipleship also informs uh, the teaching that is given. How uh, sermons are structured, what is said, why it is said. Because uh, preaching, and the goal of preaching, is not just passing along information. It's not just gaining head knowledge. That's not discipleship. Excuse me. That uh, The goal of preaching is to help people see how God's word applies to our lives. God has spoken these words. What's our response? How do we live in accord with them? It also got this commitment to this, this commitment to discipleship also uh, guides the songs that we choose. 
that our songs should strengthen us. Uh, they should challenge us even. Uh, they should, we should be singing songs that, that even convict us. Uh, songs of confession, of repentance, uh, as, well, uh, as well as songs of praise. And Bob Coughlin points out in his book, Worship Matters, that choosing songs for the church to sing is a pastoral task. It's an aspect of discipleship, and we're sensing, we're, we're choosing, these are songs we're going to sing that people are going to remember. What do we want them to know? What songs are we helping that we're going to choose that will help shape their understanding of God and how we live? And so our songs should seek to help us grow in Christ by giving us sound teaching and add different aspects of uh, different aspects of that. <clears throat> This commitment to you all to discipleship is also behind uh, the more recent movement of moving to life groups. Sunday school can certainly have its place, and the Lord ha- and the Lord certainly has used that. But some churches have chosen to go to more of a, of a life group or a small group setting. A lot of times within homes, I'm trying to get back to this idea of discipleship—not just gaining knowledge, but really seeking how does God's word affect and shape how I live, and Meetings together in smaller groups within homes can provide a, a more um, can, can provide a greater opportunity for that. It's also um, this idea of commit of discipleship is also the reason behind church discipline. That church discipline is not just for us to. Uh, it, let me rephrase that. Church discipline is not a time for people to self righteously point fingers at others. It's not just to feel a time for us to. Feel Think about how holy we think we are because we're not like that. Church discipline is a, an attempt to help people see the seriousness of sin and to help bring them back to repentance. That's the entire goal of church discipline. It's not primarily to punish, but it's more to help people see God takes sin seriously and we don't want you, and God does not want you to go down this path. We don't want you to go down this path. We are trying everything we can to help bring you back to the right path because our commitment is to growth in Christ, that, disi- that discipleship. So that's the reason behind uh, discip- church discipline. And I, I didn't uh, mention evangelism as one of the, the purposes of the local church because evangelism is, the per- is a, a responsibility of individual believers. It's not primarily of the, lo- of the local church in the sense that it gathers or what it does as a body. But the church is committed, should have a commitment to helping believers grow in Christ and equipping and preparing them so that they can be able to share the gospel, so that they can engage in evangelism. That's one of the aspects of discipleship is so that we are equipped and prepared to be able to do that. There's other ways that this idea or commitment to discipleship affects the local church and how that plays out. But it's the central idea is that we are choosing to fix our eyes on Christ and helping each other grow in Him. That's one of the primary purposes of the local church is that we are committed to help each other grow in him, that we are committed to discipleship. And then the third purpose of the local church is that we would display God's wisdom. And shocker, the launching verse for this is also going to be from Ephesians. Ephesians 3, 8-10, where Paul's talking about his ministry and he says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given. To make, excuse me, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, 
so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. It's an incredible thought to think about, that the church displays to angelic beings the wisdom of God. And we think, okay, how does the church do, how does the church do that? Well, through the church being made up of people who are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, not saved by anything else. Uh, Mark Dever explains this with this idea of gospel revealing community in his book, The Compelling Community. Uh, it's a great resource. But his point is that a lot of times we can gather together with uh, just as friends, with other people who are like us. And that's not really anything special. But when a particular group of people who don't really have a whole lot in common, they come from different backgrounds, uh, different life seasons, different uh, so many different things that are different about them. But when they are committed to each other and they choose to spend time with one another week after week, there's something different, there's something powerful in that. that the only thing that can explain that is the power of the gospel. That displaying of the wisdom of God is the only thing that could reconcile irreconcilable differences is the power of the cross. It's displaying the wisdom of God in the gospel. That the gospel displays the wisdom of God. That it is what saves us. It is what breaks down the dividing wall of hostility. It makes us the two men, into, uh, the Jews and the Gentiles, into one new man. It, it's the only way that uh, Democrats and Republicans can be united together. It's so many, anything else that could be divisive in a local church. The only way that's going to bring people together is the power of the gospel. And that displays the wisdom of God. That he knew that the gospel was the only thing that would save us. The only thing that would point to that power. The only thing that could bring people together is the gospel. And by the church committing to each other uh, through discipleship, by the church gathering to worship, we're displaying that wisdom of God. And that when we fail, a failure to recognize the other two purposes of the local church is going to affect this. That if we are not constantly reminding ourselves uh, through our worship that we are saved by God's grace, not by our common practice, not by our common background, but it's all by His grace. If we're not doing that, we may start uh, just wanting to assemble with people who are just like us. Uh, <clears throat> we're, if we don't have a commitment to discipleship, we're going to be like, okay, let's just choose what's easy. We're not choosing to, to grow in him because God's desire is for us to grow fully into Christ. And yes, it's going to take a lifetime, but that's his goal. We shouldn't seek to, we shouldn't stop short of that. And we do all of this for God's glory, that we are seeking to, to manifest his wisdom by uh, how he has saved us and how the church is, is committed to helping people, helping its members grow uh, in the Lord. We do that not to puff ourselves up, to look at any type of uh, matrix of, of numbers or this or that. But we do it all for the glory of God. And that's our primary motivation for all three of these purposes of the local church. Of worship, of discipleship, and of displaying God's wisdom. And there may be other uh, purposes or, or subpoints of that we could look at. But these are the three that I see mentioned and pointed to time and time again throughout the New Testament. And though they're fairly broad, they provide a framework for us to consider what does the church do? That this is what the local church is. Here are the purposes. This directs, directs what the church does. And that's going to vary from congregation to congregation. You know how what church get, uh, practices worship is not going to look entirely the same as the church down the street. 
or church A may have this particular aspect of discipleship that they uh, focus on, a church B may manifest that a little bit differently. But as long as we are considering these purposes of the local church, we are guided to know how the church ought to, to practice, how it should structure, what it should be involved with. Because the church shouldn't just exist, that we don't just gather just to gather, that we are called for a purpose. And these three purposes are that we might worship God together in all the ways that He is worthy, that we would commit to discipleship, to help each other grow in Christ. And we do all of that in a way that displays the wisdom of God, both to ourselves, but even to angelic beings. So I hope uh, that was helpful and help guiding us about thinking about what the church does and why the church does it. And we'll, that will help us to keep things in balance as we go forward, as we return to the idea of the definition of the local church, about that it's a particular group of people who belong to Christ and are committed to helping each other grow spiritually as they submit to designated leaders, observe the two ordinances, and regularly gather together. And we're going to break that apart and look into that. And we do see embedded in that, that idea of committed to growing spiritually, that aspect of discipleship included in there. And we'll, we'll break into that. But the looking at the purposes of the local church will help us see that each of those aspects of the definition are there for a reason. And that's why I, uh, we, I settled on that, that definition there. And we'll, like I said, we'll get into that in the coming weeks. I appreciate people listening to the podcast. Uh, people leave uh, are interested, they could leave a, a rating or a review. But until next time, read the word and take your stand. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope it was an encouragement and a blessing. To find out more information about Here I Stand Ministries, check out hisministries.com. Scripture quotations are from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, copyright 1971-1995 by the Lockman Foundation, used by permission, all rights reserved.